Bob asked me to uh, give him a title early on in the week. So I came up with this one, Pain, Suffering, and the Spiritual Growth. And I, it, there's so many tags I could put on this. I could change it. But I'd rather spend more time thinking about the content than the title. But uh, uh, we're picking up on this theme on the emotions of God, given the fact that our country is really in turmoil and tension and mental health is a, is a top priority for a whole lot of people. And yet most people, I am convinced, most people are convinced now that more than ever before that uh, they want someone to listen to them but are even more convinced that there's no one around to listen to them. And the need of the hour is for friends who can come alongside and encourage and, and support and lift up and, as we say in Kairos, listen, listen, love, love. And you can do that. You can do that. As a Christians, we've been given a great privilege to have not just that sensitivity to listen, listen, love, love, but to have the wisdom that comes from above because we are people of hope. We have people... We, we are people that are a learning community. We are a forgiven community. We are learning to forgive and learning what it means to love well. But when it comes to this issue of pain and suffering, when you have uninvited companions, when you have afflictions of diseases, when you have uh, of debilities that really cause you to, to question God and you're in doubt, there's lots of things that we go through and yet nobody really understands your heart like the Lord does. And yet you really want someone to understand what you go through. And yet that's our call, to be laborers involved with those who are distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd, to bring them to that shepherd so that they understand there is one who understands what we go through. Well, last week I mentioned that it's all about perspective and, and the wisdom, how we see things, and that, that, that way that we think about God and the way we think about others and the way we think about ourselves is either going to be informed from our culture, from the news, or from our parents, or from issues that are unresolved and things that are really kind of noise that gets in the way from seeing clearly. And yet, as a Christian, you are invited to learn the mind of Christ. Are we not? That's what Paul said. That as a Christian, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we can understand. Now that ability, I mentioned last week, that, that good relationships, healthy relationships, <clears throat> require these two things, that there's a mutuality of empathy, that you can enter into somebody's world without trying to fix them, without trying to advise them, without trying, but you're understanding who they are. There's the Myers-Briggs part. But what they go through, that's the experience part. But you're really trying to understand how do you relate to somebody that's different than you without making them like you. Not, not be pleased with making them in your image, so to speak. And so the idea that you have mutual empathy, that as a Christian you have power to move in a world that's fallen, to understand how sin is destroyed or is destroying other people. I talked to a father this week who's just weeping over his son. He can't stop weeping because his son spends more time in prison than he has been outside of prison in his life. There are so many things that would cause us pain and hardship that if you look at the world you go, where is God in all this? And so the church is sometimes in that same boat. We're, we're on earth saying, God, where are you? Why don't you do something? 
And God is in heaven saying to the church, okay, church, why don't you do something? <laughs> and so this conversation is also tense, and you'll see that a lot in Scripture. But it's, how, it's, it's learning how God sees things and seeing us in those things that's the point of the story, that, that whatever we go through, to know that God is behind it, that there's a story being written in your life right now, this moment, this week, through those circumstances, that you have all these opportunities to walk with God, abide in the word, listen to the spirit, if you are mature. If you're not mature, you're easily distracted, you got wrong priorities, you've got bondage by sin, they're, they're things that plague you, that get in the way. And what I want you to know is that the Lord wants to lift those off of you. Listening to that song, I, uh, I move because I know the men who've been set free from shame. I'm really free. And they can talk about their lives in such a way. I thought, these guys are vulnerable. They're transparent. And just like the woman who went to see Jesus and the Pharisees criticized him. They said, Don't, doesn't he know that this woman, this woman, if he were the prophet, he'd really know that this woman is a known woman. She's a known sinner. So many men, he's not a prophet. And yet the woman came and was set free. Because once you're fully known as a sinner, you're fully known. There's nothing else to hide. You're free from the shame. You're free. You're forgiven. And you're, you live in a different way. Well, that all starts if you have Christ in your life. If Christ isn't in your life, then you're hiding behind the bush. Blaming other people like Adam. But there's a lot of things going on that really interfere with our relationships. And so we can't have that mutual empathy one And we don't do the second part of mutual empowering or building each other up in the body of Christ. We don't bring grace to other people because if we're still preoccupied or tense or fearful, we're going to be hurt and we're going to be self-protective. We're violating the very call that God has for us. So mutually having empathy with people and then having the ability to enter into Share with them the good news that builds them up and sets them free. That's what our calling is. And so that all starts when you have the beginning of wisdom where you begin to say, the Lord has what I want. The Lord has exactly what I really desire. That the fear of the Lord, the respect of God, how God sees things, how he wants things. That's what I see. That's what I want to see. And that's how I want to live. That's the beginning of wisdom. When you start with Christ and you follow Christ, you pick up those things of Christ and you become like him in his mind. And you follow his precepts and you have not just understanding, you have good understanding. It's good. And that goodness comes through your words, your eyes, your listen, listen, love, love. And that's why he gets all the praise. It didn't start with us, it starts with him. Last week I mentioned that, that if you understand that you, you are a gift. You are a gift to God because God loves you and made you and he's your creator. You are a gift to the church. You are a gift to the family. You are a gift because you have human life and breath. And your spirit is so important, not only to the Lord, but to uh, all those that the Lord put around you.
He knows much better how we can make the most of that too. That he gives us that wisdom personally and then we get his perspective. I mentioned that if Christ is that rock and nothing else is, then he changes the way I see people. Third was our level of wisdom, I call that maturity, is played out, displayed in our fellowships and friendships. And so our responses to people, how you treat people, may be the only way people come to know Christ. And you are the testimony. And it directly related to what you bring. And so when you come into some relationship and people are blessed, that welcome, that shalom peace, that when you come, I am made well, that's what you do. That's what you bring. You are grace with two feet. Walking around. What a glorious calling we have. You are salt and light. And you have power to love well. Except, sometimes we don't do that. So we need to learn. And that's why Jesus says, go and be a disciple. Not only does he want his disciples to learn how to love like he does. But he wants them in all the nations. And so when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, he wants learners and people can mutually empower and mutually build up the church in all corners of the world. He wants to disciple us in this area of emotion, especially in this issue of the pain and suffering we're going to talk about today. He wants to disciple us in understanding how the sin and the noise and the self gets in the way of those relationships. And the last one is he uses these you can't read that, can you? He uses the contexts and the circumstances as opportunities for you to really shift your focus and how you normally do things and how you normally relate to things. And they're all invitations for you to turn back to Christ on a daily basis and say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Lord, what is it you want me to learn? Lord, how do you want me to respond? Lord, how do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Every day you'll go through these things. If you have the antenna up and you're spiritually growing to say, okay, Lord, change me from the inside out. Now, you know this, you know, in, in the church, because we do Bible study, we have Sunday school, we do scripture memory, we tend to be in the Western culture very cognitive. We want principles. Tell me what to do. Step one, two, three, four. And therefore, the doctrine, we're very good at this. And therefore, as Paul would say, <clears throat> we want to think about our thinking. And so we have a book we study. And we understand what we study. We, we ask questions. And, then, and so Paul would say, whatever is not godly, whatever is ungodly, we demolish these arguments and every pretension that, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now notice that last phrase. And we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought. We bring our thinking back to Christ. Christ, is this the way you think? Christ, is this the way I think? Christ, is this your mindset? What you want me to think? We understand that very well in the Western church. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what we don't do very well is this. If I'm going to take that verse and shift it, can I do that? Can I add, I don't, I'm not changing the scripture, I'm 
I'm not adding to it. I'm just kind of extending it out. Listen to this passage. We demolish arguments and every pretension that seeks itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every emotion. What? To make our emotions obedient to Christ. What? I don't understand that. Do you? But yeah, you do. Kind of. If you get confused... This is the part, we're not, we're, we're not good taking our emotions to Christ. We're not good taking our emotions to each other. And therefore, spiritual maturity then is this ability to be aware of, to, just to be sensitive to the emotional level of what you're going through. And this is the issue. It's not the kind of emotions that you have. But it's the acknowledgement of those emotions. And then when you acknowledge whatever those emotions are, if you are depressed, do you, what do you do with that? Do you run upwards? In the Old Testament, the book of Hosea says, people turn, but they don't turn upward. They turn to the nations. They turn to the idols. And God says, oh, Ephraim, my heart is turned over within me. Why don't you come to me? Jeremiah says, you, you hew fountains of living, of, of, of water. You hew cisterns out of uh, broken cisterns, but they can't hold water. Why don't you turn to the fountain of living water? And something's wrong with us. Something's missing inside of us. We, we don't naturally, because we're fallen, turn back to Christ. And therefore, we have to relearn from the kingdom perspective, how do we deal with our emotions? And that's why David would say, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge, and to trust in him at all times, right in the middle of your anger. Are you going to trust him in the middle of your despair? Can you do that? Are you emotionally aware of the fact that you're pushing God out emotionally? When you're demanding and yet there's lots going on in the human soul. But David says, pour out your heart. Whatever's on your heart, God can handle that. Wants to handle that. Why? Because David understood in his larger than my thinking that God is a refuge, a safe place where you can really let him have it. And he's not going to let you have it. There's something about the Lord Jesus Christ that is so wonderfully attractive and yet so wonderfully mysterious that we think we know, we assume that you know, and therefore I know God is gracious, but I don't think you are. Therefore I can talk to him, but I'm not going to talk to you. I know God is kind, but I don't think you are. You're going to judge me. So I don't open up to you because we don't have that freedom, that maturity, like the woman said. And so... In our understanding, a lot of people don't turn upward. And they don't see God turning towards them. And they see, like Isaiah says, that God is enthroned above the circle of the earth and he is untouched and he is unmoved by these things that I go through. The notion that God is indifferent and has no passion for me or care, it just sounds like he's, he's, he's an iceberg. You know, cold. I tell him things, he doesn't move. He's just 
indifferent. Well, there are people who think that way. People who think that God doesn't love. And if he doesn't feel, if he doesn't understand, and a lot of people think God doesn't suffer. God doesn't feel things. God is a logical, principle, Dr. Spock kind of God. But that's not what the Bible says. We do not have a high priest who is unable, unable to empathize with our weakness. Do you have little faith? He knows you have little faith. If, you are, if you've got glaucoma and hope, he knows you need those cataracts removed. He knows and cares. It's one thing to have a God who knows. It's another thing to have a God who cares. It's one thing to have a God who doesn't know and a God who doesn't care. But there are people who have got all kinds of concepts of God. But the Bible is very clear. We have one. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Then let us approach this throne of grace with confidence because we know he knows. We know he's a refuge. We know he cares so that we may receive what? Mercy. Oh, that's what we need. That's what people need. And grace. Oh, that's what we need. And that's what people need to help us. And that's the word for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the, the helper, the one who comes alongside. If we turn up and say, Lord, would you come and help me in this mess I'm in? But in the mess I'm in, we don't turn upward and we don't find the help. And that's why the spiritual maturity is tied to this thing of suffering and emotions and, and maturity. Now, when you talk about the Lord in, 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 in different circles, You'll hear, and, and, you, and you understand this as we do when we read the scripture, you hear things and think things about God that he's like us. And so you hear this passage in Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are, are on the righteous. Anybody righteous in here? The eyes of the Lord are on the unrighteous too, but just he's paying attention to the righteous. But it says his ears are attentive attentive to their cry. Can you imagine having a full audience with God alone and God not missing a single feeling, a single thought, a single question, and his ears, his whole person is actively listening, bending towards all of heaven and just paying attention to you. It says he is attentive. Huh. That kind of stimulates, I want to talk. If he wants to listen, maybe he gives me the invitation to talk. But this is where this idea of emotional maturity, you think about the Lord having ears and eyes and seeing and responding to us. This is that empathy that he's going to bring to us, that comfort that he brings to us. And that's what... The emotional maturity is you rest in the fact that when you bring yourself, all of who you are, warts and all, sin and all, you're embraced, knowing that you'll never be thrown away. Well, it's one thing to have that relationship with God. 
it's another thing to think about my maturity having this on display in relationship with other people. If God gives us these problems and opportunities to grow in the midst of pain to turn upwards, then if we translate that on the human level, if people don't respond to me or I don't respond to people, how do you make sense of this tension, of this indifference, this confusion? How do you handle it when somebody else doesn't have emotional maturity and they act out? They have outbursts of anger. How do you respond on your, when you hear a mom on the phone listening to one sibling, putting down another sibling, and manipulating the, the, the other so that they position themselves to be in the favor of one parent? You ever had that conversation? I, a lot of people in families struggle with sibling rivalry or sibling uh, contempt. What happens if your colleague at work snubs you? How do you handle it when people don't listen, listen, love, love? Or how do, how do you handle it when you look in, your, in the mirror at yourself and you say, I, I should not have dropped that wing nut down that pipe. <laughs> Stupid. I'm putting on the toilet, that happened this week. <laughs> you ever talk negatively to yourself? You ever get down on yourself? And emotionally, you're just not gracious to yourself. There are a lot of people who have trouble with that because they feel like they're just not enough. They're not smart enough, spiritual enough, committed enough, loving enough, good enough. And so if it's not blaming others, we end up blaming ourselves. All this loathing and contempt, all these things are emotions that we go through. And let me just go move on. Is God like that? Is God like that? If we are reflective of, in our emotional state as human beings, as God is, does God think the way I think? Does God feel the way I th- feel? And on this idea, of, uh, if you're not confused in this conflict, I'm, you're in the right spot. Uh, or you should be confused because it's confusing. Anybody confused yet? <laughs> How do you handle this emotional, irrational, when, when people just aren't good and they lose it. There's a word called anthropo anthropology that means man and we add the word morphism, anthropomorphize we, we change it, we transform we make God into our image we project onto God he has ears He has hands. He's got feelings like we do. And while I'm here, I might as well throw in the other word, anthropopathism, feelings. God feels like I do. And so when you project onto your understanding, your belief system, you believe in your belief, but what your belief is your belief. But you have to understand there's a reality beyond your belief. God is not your belief system. God exists outside of your belief system and will move outside of your belief system and will disrupt your belief system in order for you to know who he really is. Psalm 50, 21. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But now I'm arraigning you. 
and I'm going to set my accusations before you because God doesn't want you to think of him as an idol of your construction. He wants you to know who he really is. In that context, I went back to the other verse. It says, you sit and you testify against your brother and you slander your own mother's son. The context is relationships. When you do something that hurts God's people, God's going to bring you into judgment in the sense of, I want you to look at this thing. You thought I wasn't paying attention. I'm paying attention. And God is not like us. So all these things that we go through, relational pain, conflict, trouble, whatever, and suffering, those are the contexts where God speaks to us if we're listening and hearing him to take our emotions captive, our thoughts captive. And that's when the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, through friends, through preaching, through song, through, through donkeys, through mountains, through storm. God will speak to you if you are open to listen. Say, okay, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Lord, disciple me in the way everlasting because I don't want just to continue on with my thinking about who you are. And that's why James would say, consider it all joy. When you encounter various trials. Or Peter would say, you, you're going to greatly rejoice. And for a little while, God's going to shift your thinking in the middle of your pain. And the, so let's go back real quickly and move to this point. That if you are thinking about emotional maturity, what's, what's emotional maturity? It's acknowledging the kind of emotions and taking them right back to God. And what are emotions? Emotions, I said last week, are signals. They're signals of the soul. Just like that dashboard, you put in the key, your ignition, turn the key, service engine soon comes on. Well, it pays attention to what's going on under the hood. If you're not paying attention emotionally to what's going on, then you don't know what's going on under the hood until you may be overheated. Well, that's... That's kind of where we are. We understand that. But does God have the same kind of dashboard? Does God have the same kind of emotions? So we anthropomorphize, we project on him. Well, well, here's the thing. God doesn't have a dashboard. But he has emotions. God is spirit and his worships, worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And that means this, that God doesn't have a body. But God in his spirit feels things. And that's just different. It's hard to get a hold of that. It's a figure of speech. When you talk about the hands of God, the eyes of God, the heart of God, the eyes and ears of God, the mind of God. And sometimes you think about, well, the emotions of God. We can project out there. But here's what you need to understand what the scripture is saying. That the God that's out there, he is there. And he's attentive, and he's empathetic, and he knows. He doesn't have to be informed. And that's what Francis Schaeffer wrote that book. He is there, and he is not silent, and he is not indifferent. And therefore, if our God is not indifferent, and he can move into our circumstance and speak with patience and kindness and grace and mercy, then we too can also do that in our relationships. Can't we? Or can we? He is what 
Francis would say, Schaefer would say, he's infinite. He's much bigger than the circumstances. And he's very personal. Well, God the Father doesn't have the body. That's why he sent the Son, Jesus, so that we could see the exact representation of that spirit in human form. And therefore, we talk about God being unmoved or impassable, that God is not affected, meaning you won't cause him to do anything different than what he always is doing. That word pathos, passion, pain, patient, patience, apathy, without that sensitivity. I mentioned that last week. So, so let me just move to the end by saying this. The Lord has feelings. Our God has emotions. You read in scriptures, and it's kind of hard to understand the God that we don't understand. But he is very passionate. The Lord regretted that he had made the human beings on the earth. And his heart, notice what that says, was deeply troubled. Our, our Savior was deeply troubled. And he said, I'm going to wipe off from the face of the earth the human race. There's something about the Lord's heart that, I don't get this. It's not like me. I, I'm, he's not like me, but he is very passionate. We've got to be careful. But he was great. He greatly regretted, deeply troubled. Just like Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw that people weren't going to accept him. Jesus wept. He was moved by people who were, who were going to crucify him. And he said, if you, even you, if had only known this day, what would bring peace? But you don't know. And Jesus wept for that. Well, let me move. To understand this thing of emotions, let me ask some questions. Could you do anything ever to change the emotions of God? To make God not love you? Think about that. Could you ever do anything to make God not love you? Or to make God love you more? Or make God love you less? You see, that question has got this emotional part to it that how do you affect the Lord? If you think it's by your behavior, mm -hmm. can you change the character of God? No. Can you change the way God feels about you? Not based on what you do. Because it's him. So we know then, and we rely on the love of God has for us, because God is love. Not that God loves. God is love. At the core, you can't change the very nature of the love of Christ. You can't touch it. You can't increase it. You can't decrease it. He's always going to be consistent. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Well, let's go on. John would also say, this is love, not that we love God, but that consistent love comes to us. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. But could you ever do anything to make another person not love you? Can you do anything to make another person angry with you? Cut off the relationship, damage? And this is the thing, when... When we get into these relationship and conflicts, you understand that one, you get into this disappointment, and then once you get to the disappointment, you find these desires coming out. 
And once the desires come out, you have a demanding spirit that my desires get met. And if you press, you push, you pressure people, you start arguing. And then if you don't get what you want, guess what happens? There's distance. And in the distance, people move away from love and there's damage. Can you destroy human relationships? Oh, you bet. Why? Because we're falling far short of the glory of God. But can you change the character of God? No. Can you change the character of another person? Well, you think about that. Yes and no. But can another person change your character? Will other people affect the way you respond to them? Can you love the other person the way God does? Can you be emotionally involved even when the other person is not emotionally involved? All these things have to do with spiritual maturity. And so let me just close with this verse and we'll continue. God demonstrates his love for us because he's emotionally mature. He's not broken. He's not conditional. He's consistently holy, loving, and good. Are you consistently holy? Are you consistently loving? Are you consistently good? No. That's why we need the Savior to help us and mature and disciple us. But since we've been justified by his blood, we'll be saved by his wrath from, through Christ. For while we were enemies, look at that verse. While we were enemies, God did not take his cue to respond to us based on our warfare towards him. You see, God is going to make his decision to move towards you consistent with his character, consistent with his grace, consistent with his emotions for your benefit. And that's what maturity is. It's getting used to that grace. And that's going to be on display as, as you relate to other people. Well, God does not react impulsively, capriciously. He's not in and out of a loving mood. Today I love you. I fall in love with you. I fall out of love with you. He just doesn't do that. Today I'm angry with you. No. What we've got here is this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Lamentations 3. His compassions never fail. Do your emotions fail? Do your compassions fail? Yeah. That's why we need the Lord in our life. That's why we need to grow. I like the New American Standard. It says the steadfast love of the Lord. It doesn't change. Never ceases. Our love ceases. His doesn't. His very mercies never come to an end. You can't get to the bottom of it. There is no bottom. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Even the Lord said that. I, the Lord, do not change. I'm always going to love you. I'm going to help you learn to love like I do. So you, the descendants of Jacob, you won't have your relationships destroyed. Well, God uses these pain, these suffering, these circumstances to turn us back to him and say, Lord, make me love like you. And that's that abiding relationship where the Spirit of God comes in and transforms you. We don't project unto God who he is. But God comes to us and projects onto us who he is. And so we become Christ-like Christian as we follow Christ. You want to do that? You want to learn?
Yeah, I know you do, because that's why you're here. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning, thanking you for this, uh, this word. Uh, we just are like kindergartners with this stuff. But Lord, would you mature us so that we know how to love you and love others like you. In Jesus' name, amen.